book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 5, and we are looking, have began looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter number 5, and we'll be looking primarily at just one single verse tonight, which will be verse number 3. Now what I would like to do is I would like to read through verse number 12. Uh, these are the this introduction of what is referred to as the Beatitudes. And uh, so we will read these in a full context here, verses 1 through 12, and then we will put our focus primarily on verse number 3. Beginning there in verse number 1 of chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you." Our subject tonight is found there in verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Our Lord's first statutes or first directions here in this sermon are what we refer to as the Beatitudes, or we might even call them in a sense benedictions. He begins by teaching them about blessings. Uh, the Old Testament, we know, when we get to the end of Malachi, ends with a curse, and we realize that the first words of the New Testament in the book of Matthew open up with the words or the thought of being blessed. Oftentimes, the word blessed is sometimes rendered by others, by some that say that means happy, um, it's some interchange those two and they say blessed means happy from, from my time in the word and time just studying over the years, uh, seemingly to me, the scriptures have a, a deeper meaning, uh, than just being happy. Uh, the, the phrase that I have tended to lean to or look to is the fact or the words divine contentment to be content with God, to be content in Christ. When we are blessed, uh, we are content. We're content in the things of God. And as the Lord brings these teachings to this audience here, He's bringing to these men the true blessings or the true beatitudes through His teaching and teaching of His kingdom. Now you'll recall at the end of our time last week, at the end of our introduction, we pointed out that Christ's public ministry first had a very special application towards those who were the, considered to be the afflicted of God. And then second, there's references made to uh, his immediate disciples. 
So there's these different audience groups that the Lord's ministry uh, was dealing with. Uh, those immediate disciples were the ones that we often refer to, and they were referred to as his apostles. And then the third audience is the people at large. So the sermon is really broken up into different audiences. Uh, and, and we see that the very first words out of his mouth as he began to teach the people was, if, was in with reference to the poor in spirit. Now, this is clearly the case of what the Lord is doing here. This beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that we refer to it, it's evident in our uh, exposition of this that Christ is, is seeing not only explaining who the divinely content are, but primarily the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was for Him to proclaim His kingdom. And as we understand, the Sermon on the Mount is given to us and we are to live those not in perfect obedience. They're not meant to be an, an addendum or an addition to the Ten Commandments. That's not their purpose. Uh, they're not intended to be perfectly kept. We couldn't keep it. But what we are to do is these are the characteristics of people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. If we are, in fact, citizens of his kingdom, this is the way we're desiring to live. This is how we desire to handle matters. And as we gave introductions to the sermon, of course, it, it covers chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, and it covers just about every interaction in life. But as we carefully study this together, we need to keep in mind that he does differentiate between what true happiness or true contentment and what true blessedness is. I've, I think I mentioned this the word blessed is often overused in our society. We tend to use blessed in a very generic way. Uh, we tend to, to say, you know, uh, blessings on someone else, or we, we tend to say, I'm very blessed. And we, we might be, but the true blessed are those who are completely content in God. Divinely content. And as he discusses and preaches this, these principles, these beatitudes. He is talking about something that is impossible for the unregenerate to fully understand. Because he speaks in opposites of what the world thinks. He talks about the blessed or the poor in spirit, where the world says, how can a poor in spirit be blessed? We're going to approach this verse tonight by really taking four looks at this of what Jesus wasn't saying. You know, sometimes we look at a scripture and we say, here's what Jesus was saying. And then other times we need to look at it and say, here's what he wasn't saying. So there is this concept we need to understand here that to the unregenerate world, uh, outward comforts, outward luxury is what leads to contentment. In other words, the more things I can have, the more uh, possessions I can acquire, that's where my real contentment comes through. That's where I'm, I'm really happy. Now, what makes that so interesting that Jesus takes this approach with the sermon is you have to remember that the Pharisees had become to the place so conceited in their own belief that they truly believed that the only people who had truly received the gospel, the people who were truly of God, were people who were prosperous, people who had lots of worldly possessions, people that had external uh, the external praise of men. The Pharisees truly believed that's what a blessed person is. So everything that Jesus says 
is really driving at the very heart of what the Pharisees actually thought was true, but wasn't true. So what is it to be poor in spirit? Well, it's a reference to the uh, poverty of spirit. But we also know that when we talk about spiritual poverty, we talk about something that it is, it is the very basis of our Christian existence. It's the very basis of how we live. Uh, if you are, uh, if you are um, in Christ, there is no question you have felt the poverty of spirit. Now, tonight you may be wondering, what I don't know what you're talking about. What is this poverty of spirit? It's not random that Jesus uses the very first beatitude as blessed are the poor in spirit. Spiritual poverty is not this idea that I am lacking something other than I'm lacking the complete understanding of what I really needed, what I really needed through Christ. The very first sign of God's grace in our life is in this reality of being poor in spirit. Notice he makes a connection between those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These individuals who have this poor in spirit already have this present possession, the kingdom of heaven. The question of being in heaven's kingdom, again, what is Jesus not saying? He's not saying, are you poor? But are you poor in spirit? He's not referencing physical possessions. He's not saying that in order to have the kingdom of God, you need to be poor in possession. He's saying the people in the kingdom of heaven are poor in spirit. Now, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to be one who has no account in their own eyes of their own worthiness or their own righteousness. They don't look to themselves and say that I'm in the kingdom because of something that I have done. I'm in the kingdom because I have given something to the Lord. No, the qualifications and the principles for the heavenly kingdom is what he's talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's indeed interesting as we observe this as a, at a high view. Notice again how Christ opens this sermon. When he preached his first sermon, the first words out of his mouth were repent. That was also the first words out of the mouth of John the Baptist, repent. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't begin with a pronouncement of destruction. It begins with a pronouncement of benediction. It begins with a pronouncement of blessings upon his own people. Jesus is not talking to the multitude at large right now. He's not saying that every single person to the sound of my voice is blessed. He's very, being very specific that those who are blessed have these characteristics. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst after righteousness merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. And then he even gives that astounding, blessed are those who are persecuted. And then tells them, rejoice if you're persecuted. These are contrary benedictions to what the world considers being blessed. 
So Jesus is first speaking to those who are his own, those who had a special claim upon him, those that he had claimed he has claimed for himself, those that were given to him by the Father. These first words are not just addressed directly at the apostles, but this is directed at those who are poor in spirit, those who are afflicted in soul, those who are very conscious of their deep need. Part of our spiritual experience when coming to Christ is there has to be a consciousness of our deep spiritual need. I have to have this need. I have to understand that I have a need because Christ is the only one who can fulfill this need that I have. Again, by taking the the perspective here of what he didn't say. When he refers to the poor in spirit, he doesn't say blessed are the poor in possessions, but rather the blessed are poor in spirit. It is not a poverty of money. It's not a poverty of possessions. That's not the people that are blessed. The people that are blessed are the people who have a poverty of spirit. That's what entitles them to this blessing is that they understand their need. They understand that the need that I have, I cannot meet that need. To be poor in spirit means I do not have the resources to meet the greatest need in my life, which is a need of what only what Christ can give. So the Lord didn't say, blessed are the poor in money or possessions. Number two, he didn't say, blessed are the spiritually poor, but rather he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The person that is destitute, completely destitute of God's grace and the spirit of God, that has no sense of his spiritual wants, that's a person that's spiritually poor. But he's not poor in spirit. We're not spiritually poor. We're poor in spirit. We're not destitute of God's grace. We're not destitute of the Spirit of God. That's what it would be to be spiritually poor. To be be without Christ is to be spiritually poor. But he's not saying that's the blessed people. He's saying the blessed people are the poor in spirit. The people who realize their need. Thirdly, he did not say... Blessed are the poor spirited, but the poor in spirit. Who are poor spirited people? We all know poor spirited people. People whose spirit just always seems to be agitated. People's spirit who just continually seems to be at odds. Those are poor, there are poor spirited people in this world. But Jesus doesn't say that's what the poor in spirit are. These poor in spirit are not poor in money. They're not spiritually poor. They're not poor spirited men, but they're poor in spirit. And he fourthly, he didn't say, blessed are they that make themselves poor by leaving their houses and callings and turning into beggars. Now what's interesting with this one is interesting because oftentimes we think that there is some level of spirituality in being poor in possession. Uh, There's actually teaching from other denominations that say that the only way you can live the Christian life is to be poor in possession. That somehow being poor equates to your holiness or that being poor in possession equates that you're more righteous than someone else. 
That's not what he was talking about. He's not talking about you have to give up all of these things in order to be poor in spirit. No, the blessed are they who when they hear the gospel, it is the gospel that makes them poor. Because what the gospel does, folks, is the gospel gives us a sight of not only our spiritual necessities, but our spiritual desires. It actually, the gospel shows us what we need and shows us what we want, not for our own selfish lust. We want Christ. We want Him. Because we know that we need Him. We know that we need Him spiritually. Those who are poor in spirit are made rich in Christ. The richest people who live are those who are in Christ. Again, why did the Lord identify this poor in spirit first? Nothing in Scripture is random. This is really the key to understanding the Beatitudes is it begins with this being poor in spirit. Understanding what poor in spirit isn't. And understanding what poor in spirit is. In summary, those who are poor It's not those who are poor in possession or those who the world has made poor, but those who the gospel has made poor in spirit. You know what the gospel does to the truly, to the blessed, to the poor in spirit? It truly humbles you. You cannot, you could not truly understand and be poor in spirit and still have arrogance and pride remaining unchecked. Now, pride is a dangerous thing because pride is something we convince ourselves we don't have a problem with. It's the one thing that everybody seems to say, I've got a handle on pride. But yet, to be poor in spirit, it brings us into a place of humility. To have a lowly spirit about ourselves is not having low self-esteem, but rather it is having a right view of who we are as sinners and who God is in all of His attributes. A person poor in spirit recognizes their needs, recognizes their spiritual wants, realizes I can't meet that need, I can't pay for that, but Christ can, and Christ does. Remember, He's talking about those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. To have a right to the kingdom of heaven. I mean, folks, again, look what he says. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's clearly identifying that the poor in spirit have this connection. They have this possession. They have a right to the kingdom of heaven. Oftentimes, we can use the phrase poor in spirit and humility interchangeably. Why? Because humility is the effect and the fruit of God's spirit. True humility, folks, isn't man-made. True humility comes from the presence of God's Spirit. It's the effect of God's grace. There's an interesting passage in Matthew chapter 11 that goes along with this. If you'd like to turn over there, Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6. This is a very interesting interesting interaction. It is John who is questioning Jesus about some of these matters. And 
John is in prison and he, he sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus some questions. Now, you'll notice here that it talks about John heard in prison the works of Christ. He sends these two disciples and he says, here's what I want you to ask him. And let's read that. John 11 verses 1 through 6. Or Matthew 11 verses 1 through 6. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John, and if you will receive it, this is Elias which was come for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. You notice that this, this questioning about the gospel being preached unto them and those that were looking for who this Messiah would be, going out to confirm and to verify that this is the way in which he would appear and these are the things in which he would do. We see this great provision of God's divine grace. It's a merciful provision that God offers this grace. Imagine this for a moment. If God were to offer salvation for a price, if He was to say, if you want salvation, here's the price. No person would have the resources or a way to pay that. There would be no way for us to, no matter how many earthly possessions we had, no matter what we had in our, in our possession physically, 
we would not be able to pay it. You see, divine grace is offered to those who are poor. Those who are poor because they have nothing else to give. A person who is poor in spirit realizes he or she has nothing with which they could possibly purchase salvation. No matter how much I have, I could not purchase the kingdom of heaven. But do you know what the vast majority of people in this world, the vast majority of people in this world are completely unaware of that truth. The truth that their salvation cannot be purchased, their salvation cannot be acquired by anything they own or can acquire. There are people all over this planet tonight that are trying to buy their way into the kingdom of heaven. They're not necessarily doing it with what comes out of their wallet. They're doing it with their own works of righteousness and they truly believe those works are purchasing their ticket, their title, their right to the kingdom of heaven. And yet even as we read there in Matthew 11, even as the gospel went out to some, there were some who just flat out would not receive it. But imagine this for a moment that We have been made sensible to this. We have been made aware that we cannot purchase this. That's what it is to be poor in spirit. The Holy Spirit opens our sin-blinded eyes to see, I have nothing to offer. No matter what my bank account, no matter how many zeros are after my bank account, it doesn't matter. If I could do a hundred works every day for the rest of my life, those works would not purchase my title to the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who are aware of their need and it is evidence of those who have passed from death unto life because they've become aware and very conscious of their poverty. They know in a sense that had it not been for the grace of God and His provision, we would find ourselves as nothing more than beggars. Beggars who would have nothing to show. Yet those who are poor in spirit are glad to receive the divine grace of God and receive His divine gift of love. That's why when we start reading about seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, we start to understand that there is no greater riches in this world than to have a claim and a title to the kingdom of heaven. That's your greatest, that's your greatest possession tonight is you have a title to the kingdom of heaven. And you didn't do anything to get it. And you're not doing anything to keep it. That's what the poor in spirit are. These people who realize when the gospel was preached unto me, who was spiritually poor, I had nothing. God opened my eyes through the Spirit and He preached not just to my ears, but He preached to my heart. And He opened my eyes to see my own poverty, to see my own lack of resources. To see my own lack of any means of buying my ticket to the kingdom of heaven. A person who is in the possession of a poverty of spirit is the one that's pronounced as blessed. To be aware of those things 
is indeed a blessed person. We hear it often today. Somebody, maybe they come across some kind of a, a, they're given a great gift or maybe they receive a great inheritance. Or we walk, we, we're invited to their house and, they, and again, there's nothing wrong with having nice things, but sometimes we do what the Pharisee does and we see a, a, a nice home and cars and everything and we say, we use this term, boy, you must really be blessed. As if that if that's what real blessed is. And it's not. The real blessing is not in our stuff, folks. That's not where the blessing is. The real blessing is that being poor in spirit. Now, God may give you earthly riches. But we make a mistake often, and sometimes our, our jealousy, our envy rises up in us, and we say, boy, I wish I had the possessions that so-and-so has. Or we make the mistake of saying, God must really favor them. Now that seems outlandish, but that's what the Pharisees actually believed. They believed if you were poor and you were a beggar, that you didn't have God's favor. Now again, God's not telling you, go run out of your homes and go live on the streets because that's the holy, righteous thing to do. But the point is, Jesus was taking dead aim. He was taking dead aim with the Pharisees who truly were teaching people that. You see all those poor people lying in the streets? Those people don't have the favor of God. See our long flowing robes? Now we have the favor of God. That's a true sign of favor with God is how much you have. The Pharisees actually believe that. Imagine your blessings being based upon what your possessions were. You know, God, even in His common grace, blesses the unregenerate farmer. We've said this a hundred times. He gives the farmer a, cro- a, a field full of crops. Sometimes the farmer does absolutely nothing to earn it, and God just gives him a bumper crop that year. God's even good to the wicked. But oftentimes that farmer never returns that favor to God, never says, you know, I thank God that he gave me this field. No, what he ends up saying, he said, I must have done really something very well this year to make the crops do what they've done this year. It's that same farmer, another farmer who maybe is a believer, he walks out into that field and that field doesn't provide as much that year. He's still blessed. He's still blessed. Because the blessing of God is not based upon how much of what we possess. Why? Because he's an heir of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of grace. The kingdom of glory. Honestly, to be in the kingdom of God is to be poor in spirit. You know, I think you could park right here for a number of weeks and you could say, this is what Jesus is really saying is the first of the Beatitudes and the first marker in being a citizen of God's kingdom. Are you poor in spirit? And he's addressing that, that, deep, that deep-seated problem that we have. Do I truly understand my need? And understand that nothing I'm doing is getting me into the kingdom of heaven. Honestly, it's a characteristic of the believer. A citizen of the kingdom of heaven knows he or she is poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit spiritually, it's been described this way as 
an emptying. Again, not a physical emptying of our possessions, but emptying ourselves of any form of self-righteousness that we think is adding to our entrance or our being seated in the kingdom of heaven. There's always really two effects the gospel does. All people say the gospel is just believe this, pray this, and you get to heaven. No, the true gospel actually has two sides. The gospel, as it's preached properly, pulls down and it raises something up. The true gospel will always pull down the self-righteousness of man. It will bring, it'll, it'll grind it to dust. If it's the true gospel, and this, this, is, this is not going to sound popular to an unregenerate world, the true gospel will grind you into the dust because it will remind you that that sin, no matter how small you think it is, is the very thing that's keeping you and separating you from the kingdom of heaven. That's what's keeping you out. The true gospel always deals with the sin of man. It's not about just accepting. It's, it is a pulling down. Pulling down of all the things you're trusting in. But then it raises something up. What does it raise up? It raises up the reality of, their, of that Savior, of Christ. An essential part of the Gospel, a required part of the Gospel, is that it, there must be a conviction of sin that always precedes conversion. If you tell me you're converted, but you were never convicted of your sin, there is no way you're converted. And you, say, you say, I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge of that, but the Lord says Himself, Repent. Unless I'm convicted of my sin, I'm not going to repent. Repentance is all about conviction of sin. So conversion is preceded by conviction. So to be poor in spirit, it's an absence of pride. It's an absence of self-assurance. It's an absence of self-reliance. Can you see the pattern? Poor in spirit is an absence of self I'm not in this equation. <laughs> I'm not, I am not the one that's doing this. Our biggest problem is ourself. Your biggest problem is not someone else. It's not your neighbors, not your coworkers, not your spouse, not your kids. Your biggest problem is you. My biggest problem is me. We don't realize how hard it is for us just to get ourselves out of the way on a day-to-day -day basis. We often make, make a day about ourselves and we don't even know we made it all about us. It's part of our sin nature. But when you start talking about ourself being a part of our title and right to the kingdom of heaven, now you're talking about something that cannot be. It is not ourself. We cannot produce anything to be placed in the presence of God that would gain us a right to be there. I can't produce it. There's nothing, there's a song we've, we've sang here a number of times. There's nothing that my hands 
can do. My hands cannot do anything to to gain me entrance into the kingdom of heaven. This poor in spirit is not something that you can just kind of get in your car tonight and say, okay, I'm I'm determining now from right now until tomorrow and the next day, I'm going to be poor in spirit. This is something that comes as a work of God's grace in your heart. This is not the, the, the pull up your bootstraps and take over your life and just, just determine to do better. Turn over a new leaf. This is a work that God does in our life. He does this by an act of grace. To be poor in spirit realizes there's nothing our hands can do. There's nothing we can produce. There's nothing we can do in ourselves. It's a tremendous awareness. And again, I know this isn't popular to most of the church world today. It's becoming fully aware of our nothingness. That's really what it is. Poor in spirit is being fully aware of your nothingness. You don't get hired as motivational speakers with language like that. So what kind of a motivation is that? It's not what we're after. I'm not trying to motivate you tonight. I'm not trying to motivate you. I'm trying to point us. This is what Jesus says to be poor in the spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's those people who are aware of their utter nothingness that are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's who they are. Now again, be careful because you can use your utter nothingness as a way to call attention to yourself. (laughs) See, it's a two-edged sword. Some people like to tell you that, their their utter worthlessness. He's not talking about making this something you broadcast over and over again and you have to convince people. This is that spiritual awareness within your heart. When you read the scriptures, when you hear the word of God, when you hear the gospel, you're reminded every day about his goodness to you and how you did nothing to merit or earn this. You can be aware of your utter nothingness and not, and not say a word. But yet, when you and I understand that one day we're going to stand face to face with the Lord, we're going to stand face to face with Him, we are only going to be standing there as we were poor in spirit. The world, folks, is, is emphasizing the exact opposite of nothingness. The world's program is self-reliance, self-assurance, self-confidence, self-expression. Just express yourself. Just take a picture of yourself. Just post about yourself. Just promote yourself. Let everybody else know about yourself. See, poor in spirit is exactly opposite of self. Poor in spirit is one that doesn't use the mantra, believe in yourself, express yourself. No, it's one that realizes that everything that I am and all that I ever hope to be is because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. We often hear the expression... And I get this. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to throw an absolute wet blanket on everything that we hear in the world. I, I'm, just, I'm just stating this. 
But we've heard that old cliche that man can do and you can do anything you put your mind to. I understand it. And I think in certain situations we can use that as a teachable moment. But I don't care how much of your mind you put to this, you can't get to heaven no matter how much you put your mind to it without Jesus Christ and His gift of grace. You can try to change your mind, change its approach, but the idea that we can somehow gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven without Christ. That would be the farthest thing from the truth. Jesus tells us, again, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Be aware of our utter nothingness, not as a badge of something to be ashamed of, but use it to the praise and the honor for his, for his glory. That he made you aware of that. That he actually made you aware that you could not buy your way. There are people out there that we still, they still do not know that they cannot buy their way to heaven. And they truly believe they're earning and working and paying their way. And you would too, had it not been for him bringing you to the realization, nothing your hands can bring. That's what it is to be poor in spirit. Next, next week, we'll move on to verse number four. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we'll look forward to that next week. All right, let's stand together if you would. We'll be dismissed in prayer tonight, and we're looking forward to our Lord's Day this coming Sunday, and hope you'll be able to be with us, and we'll look forward to con continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. We'll be finishing uh, chapter 10 of Effectual Calling of the Confession, and uh, so we'll have a lot to cover on Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time we've had tonight, and Lord, I pray that as these as the word has been given and the word has been preached and spoken, Lord, that we know that there is no understanding apart from the Spirit. And Father, we pray that you will instruct us and teach us and guide us. That, Lord, we will examine our own lives. We will consider <clears throat> our own path. And Father, we are thankful to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, thank you for the reminder of blessed are the poor in spirit. May this truth not escape us. May we use it to meditate upon. May it bring us to true humility. May it bring us to a, a heart of gratitude. And ultimately, may it lead us to a mouth that praises you with everything that we are. Lord, thank you for this time this evening. We do not take this for, for granted. We don't take it lightly. We have no promise of gathering together again here on this earth. But Lord, we leave here tonight rejoicing. Rejoicing in our salvation and rejoicing in the provision that was given by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We thank you and we praise you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake that I do pray. Amen.
All right. Thank you so much for being here.